Hi, y'all. Welcome back to Peachy Keen. I'm Vivian Liddell, and this is my podcast. Peachy Keen has finally made it into 2018. I know it's February. What happened? Well, spring semester. For those of us who teach here in Georgia, got off to a rocky start. With all the snow and ice and missed days, I personally started off sick, and I know a lot of you are with me on that one. The flu has been a real booger this past month especially for those of us with little ones, with a family of four, you're looking at maybe a whole month of sickness if it gets passed around. I've heard of multiple accounts of one kid getting both strains of the flu with a little bronchitis peppered in back to back. Geez, y'all. I can, I'm going to call mercy on behalf of all of us. So here it is February, and I'm just now starting to feel like I can do something besides treading water. I haven't had a lot of time for musing and meandering thoughts, although there is plenty going on in the world to ponder. It's been nose to the grindstone for me for the past month, mostly in a good way. My own work in the studio with my art is bubbling over in a kind of gestational period. A lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that's demanding my attention. But lucky for us all, I did have time to get out of my own work-induced tunnel vision to finally have a chat with Atlanta artist and sculptor Zipporah Camille Thompson. I first met Zipporah last summer through a mint show we were both in, but I had already been following and connecting with her work for some time and am thrilled to finally make this studio visit happen. She's represented by White Space Gallery in Atlanta and is shown all over the place, including at the Zuckerman Museum and the Georgia Museum of Art. She's received numerous awards and residencies, including the Zenobia Scholarship for her 2017 residency at the Watershed Center for the Ceramic Arts in Maine. She is a 2018 National Council on Education for the Ceramic Arts Multicultural Fellow and was recently named a 2018 IDEA Capital Research and Development Travel Grantee. For the IDEA Capital Award, She will be traveling to Oaxaca, Mexico for two weeks in April and May to study clay and textiles, looking at the black pottery from the San Bartolo community, beautiful black pottery that's particular to the region, and at local Zapotec weaving to create her own mixed-media sculptures that will be photographed there and here as a way to conceptually repair U.S.-Mexico relations and to delve into immigration issues. Zipporah has recently been accepted to the Creatives Project at the Goat Farm Arts Center in Atlanta, where she has a two-year residency. She's currently in the process of moving her studio to the Goat Farm, but since most of her work is still in her home studio in Stone Mountain, I met up with her there. Home studio. Home now. studio. So you have like Studio A and Studio B. Yeah, yeah, and that's um, new as of uh, well January actually. I did the yeah. You know, well, I received the TCP, um, the Creatives Program. I have a studio now at Goat Farm. Wait, January of this year? Of Just now. Just now. Okay. So okay. this is like super fresh. Um, we we're still moving in, still trying to figure out how we envision making those spaces work, but. Um, as of January, I'm at the goat farm. Really glad to be there. I think it'll be good for like connecting with. Um, I have like 
a few studio mates, and so it'll be good, like, connecting and bouncing off of each other's energy. And who, who all's over there? Is Scott Sylvie still over there? Scott Sylvie, I think he, he just finished up in the last round. Okay. Yeah. So he's not in the program anymore, but with Adam Forrester, Kristen Wolford, Sarah Santamaria, um, yeah, a few others. Um, yeah, they're all awesome. Super. So what does it mean to have your studio in the creatives project? Like, don't the, those guys show together? Like, you have yeah, shows? Yeah, you show together, and you also, um, we have outreach that we have to do, and sometimes our outreach um, projects also kind of overlap and connect. Um, so we're going to work with different partner organizations and uh, come up with our own projects to empower and work with youth in the area and and underserved communities. So I'm really excited, um, especially to be able to like create a project um, with the TCP program, um, their assistance, uh, to like be very focused and streamlined mm-hmm. um, because I taught art at the International Montessori School and that was like just teaching everything, like the whole entire spectrum, like drawing, painting, every type of art, every, um, you know, period of art history. And so just to be able to focus a little bit and then also give back to the communities and be able to expose them to arts and different types of making that they might not have been exposed to. Are you still teaching Montessori? I'm not. I left. I, I'm not no longer teaching. And were you um, teaching at UGA? I was also adjuncting at UGA. Okay. That was that was um, for a year. I stayed on. Because I saw some of your student work on Instagram, which yeah, is killer. Yeah, those guys are great. Like I really enjoyed um, that experience and working with them and being able to have that that um, additional teaching experience after finishing grad school was was awesome. So you and, taught. Uh, fiber, they have a fiber department? Yeah, yeah, I did. I taught weaving, um, weaving, introductory weaving, advanced weaving. I worked a little bit with the grad students and grad seminar. I did, um, what else did I do? I taught like um, a sewing class, but not like traditional sewing and like pattern making and not, not necessarily like clothing design. It was like taking sewing uh, techniques and applying them to fine art and um, I just really, I really enjoyed all of the courses I taught. I also taught like just an introductory, hey, here's a brief rundown of everything textiles and how you can apply this to your work in other concentrations. Like, um, so it, I really, I really enjoyed that. That sounds awesome. It all was that really sewing cool. into fine art is like yeah. right up my alley. Yeah, I know, and I know. by the way, Jess Jones says hi. Oh, hi. She, <laughs> she came and talked to where I work at UNG So this great, week, yeah. And we gave her a tour of our weaving studio. Fantastic. We have a really great weaving studio. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, but I see you have a loom yes, in your studio yes. here. Yes. Do you have another loom at the Go Farm? Or? I don't. I, I would love to have a little baby loom there. And so I'm on a, a major hunt for a little pint-sized baby of a loom. So um, I learned a little bit walking around <laughs> with Jo Marie in my department. Jo Marie Karst, she's an expert. Yeah. And Jess, they both know what's up with the looms. I'm just yeah. like, a loom is a loom is a loom is a loom. Yeah. <laughs> but for, for the people in, in our uh, listening audience that might be weavers, what kind of loom have you got over here? What's the... So here I've got an Ashford. It's, uh, I want to say she's 36 inches wide. Uh, so she's a pretty good size floor loom. 
Um, she's my go-to. She's what I crank out my samples on. She's the one I'm most familiar with. I had her first. She's actually given to me as a gift. Oh. And um, before I was even like back into weaving at the time, I was just like, okay, you know, thank you for this loom that I know is super expensive and valuable, but I'm not weaving right now. Um, I wasn't weaving in the capacity I'm weaving now, but she's my baby. Um, well, they're kind of pretty in their own right. They're like, beautiful. It's like a, having a piano kind of. It all really strings, is. You know, it's just something that tempts you into it when yes. you walk by it. Yes, and the whole process for warping the darn things is like a process, like I said, in and of itself. Um, that also becomes so much of the work, the prep. Um, also using like the warping board to create your um, warp that then goes onto the loom. So that, that's a whole nother component of weaving. Um, so she's my first one. And then this one here is my Maycomer loom. Um, she's wider. She does a lot more. She can do double weave, which is really exciting. Um, really complicated and frustrating at times, what, but she can do the advantage of that. Like, yeah. So she can, she can weave one cloth on the top on one side and she can weave simultaneously at the same time a whole entirely different cloth underneath mm -hmm. on the underside. So it the beauty of it is is being able to weave double. Right. It's not in the same amount of time though. What are those traditionally used for? Um that's a good question. I don't know the complete history of double weave. I know that there's a lot of applications for it, like if you're weaving like a blanket or something that you want to then stuff right. or fill. Mm -hmm. um, it really, uh, design-wise, creates a lot of possibilities for like getting really funky because you can then interchange the two cloths um, when and where you choose to. And the possibilities there are just endless um, design-wise. Like having these two cloths go in and out and so it it's really exciting um what else does she do she's just magical around i, I love how I you like call them. them they're both she's they're both she's yes, yeah clearly yeah they're my babies i try to take good care of them um which also includes uh, moving them as little po as possible i've moved so much and i'm just really um kind of done with moving them um, which is why I want like a little pint size um, right. loom at Goat Farm. Like a, they make tabletop. They ones, make right? tabletop top ones. Those I find those really frustrating. Um, I think because I'm so used to weaving on a floor loom mm -hmm. that I'm used to using my feet, my my arms, my brain, right. like my whole body, to create the cloth. And so just using my hands seems like not right. So hopefully I can get a, a smaller loom there as well. Yeah. So I'm looking around at the stuff that you have up here. How? Yeah. What's the date range of work that we're looking at? Most of this work is since we've moved in, um, which was the uh, beginning of 2017. Um, and so this is fairly recent. I, um, like I said, I was experiencing so much transition that I was just like, you know, when I when I'm either in a state of a lot of transition or uh, a lot of confusion, really. I just go to drawing, right? Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's a really good, quick, easy way to um, just hash out some ideas and get some things out of your brain onto paper. Um, 
Not to mention the materials are just there, you know. It's like I don't yeah. have to do what I have to do for sculpture with all the prep work and needing space. And, you know, I can draw wherever, whenever. Yeah, and you can, like, go work through your ideas really rapidly. Exactly. So you don't know what you're doing. So you can kind of wait till something gels <laughs> yeah. before you spend a lot of time and money or whatnot on it. Yeah. So you mentioned sculpture. I noticed on your website that you call yourself artist and sculptor yeah um which is funny because <laughs> you know you're working a lot with fiber and, yeah and i've been doing that too and people call me a fiber artist and i call myself a painter yeah um so why do you choose to call yourself you know use those terms specifically yeah that's a really great question and i think i've been asked that a number of times recently and i'm just like you know there's nothing wrong with being a fiber artist, especially if you embrace the term and, and that is what you truly feel like embodies your practice. Um, I don't, you know, I rather like to think that I use whatever materials at the moment um, that kind of best convey my concepts. A lot of times that just happens to be fiber and textile. Um, so, where I find it tricky is that then that label, I feel like um, I haven't felt like there's a lot of um, diversity in fiber arts. And there's also not a lot of kind of acceptance at times, like at times they're, they're um, accepting of like more unconventional ways of working. But there's like a general kind of like very specific avenue for fiber art that's labeled as fiber art that I think I find a bit tricky for me yeah I feel you on that so that's I mean I would never even that's what I'm like I don't even know anything about that whole yeah. thing, but I know that it's it's more like a you know high craft yeah museum situation where it's like about this kind of perfection of craft exactly and technique that I personally am not interested in exactly so um I can see your work also is you know, makes sense in the kind of a more of a fine art realm where you can kind of go back and forth between media. I mean, I love, I saw this piece on your website with the um, pull tabs off yeah, of like, yeah. a, like aluminum cans that you drink out of and you've yeah. got them painted different colors and on top of, is this handmade paper? That's that? handmade paper. Um, I wish I had access to a paper beater. I would just make paper endless and endless hour for hours and hours um i love the process mm -hmm. i think it's so rich and beautiful and you can embed so many things in the pulp and then do so many things with the pulp um even just sculpturally or two-dimensionally that i i really love the process yeah. um some of this paper i've kind of made in a very kind of like a, a really wonky kind of sense where i'm just like beating it by hand and it's just like old you know it's like the other version of wannabe paper making. Um, but these here are um, beat by the actual um, beater, the really fancy paper beater. I really mm -hmm. respond to that. I love that you use the fluorescent color and then with this kind of really um, subtle purple grays in the background. Um, you know, I, so many people use these kind of fluorescents in their work now, myself included. And they're so tricky to work with because they, they like, really take over when you put them in they there. They do. They do. They really command your attention. And in some ways, that's a great thing. In other ways, that can be really, you know, like, oh, my God, what's happening here? Like, this is blinding me. And this is just drawing and commanding too much attention if, you know, you're not careful about placement. But what I really enjoy about um, 
using these uh, like really muted neutrals with these pops of fluorescent is that the the neutrals and kind of the earth tones are really um my work is so much about landscapes that are really i'm pulling from kind of like that natural neutral earth tone color palette but then it's like well how do you kind of wake that up how do you also kind of command people's attention to a particular concept or um a particular um idea that you or or place or space even um whether in the work or an actual physical space um you know i love um, driving by like construction sites and things or um, places where they have all the little flagging yeah uh like the little construction flags and they're like these bright fluorescents in this um you know barren kind of flattened out um work zone do you um, take pictures of the landscape i don't like and that's color? something that i'm getting to is beginning to photograph things that really draw my attention and then what happens with those photographs is something that i'm also you know getting to so it's, it's coming back i just don't know where and how you know kind of thing your colors look you know you talk about your landscapes they do look very specific, and I always think yeah. about using landscapes just for color standpoint. Yeah. Um, it, your show, you said your show at White Speck is down now. Yeah. Well, I was in, I was part of a group a group show there. Oh, okay. Um, for uh, it was the December show. I had a little one piece that was ceramic and textile in that um, show, and that's down. I think that came oh, down in December. Maybe I'm confusing when I looked on your website. What was your your Dark Side of the Moon? That's dark of the Moon, dark yes. Now, that was in 2016. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's, that what, was, that's what it was. That was last year about this time, or two years ago about this time. That's not a Pink Floyd reference. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I saw that, and I was like, you know, there's, like, only – two bands that I don't like. And yeah, Pink Floyd is one Pink of them. Floyd's one of them. I'm pretty yeah, sure Zipporah's no. not talking <laughs> no, about Pink Floyd. No, I'm not either. talking about Pink Floyd. I'm, I'm really <laughs> interested in, like, the phases of the moon. And um, at the time, I was really investigating um, all the possibilities. Well, I still am in the work. Um, but specifically for that show, I was looking at the, the phases of the moon, which is just the moon is completely dark, and thinking about identity and self. And, and darkness in general, blackness in general, and what that means, what that means to me, what that means to an entire community of people, what that means internationally uh, with the entire black um, diaspora of peoples. And then even even on a, on a more universal level that um, all of the changes that the earth kind of um, undergoes that kind of are affected by, you know, this lunar activity or, or solar activity, um, but more specifically lunar activity and how that affects us as humans. And so like this microcosm, macrocosm, so you're push and pull. So you're super into the moon this week? I am, I am. I'm super into the moon like always. <laughs> um, I need to do, what I'm interested in doing now is like really charting some of the lunar behavior and I don't know, like, do some pieces start at certain phases of the moon and end, you know, like what? It was, it was an eclipse, a blue moon, and a It was in super a super moon, moon, yeah. And a blood moon. Yeah. So it was like four special events. Super special. There's so much happening recently that's like that super special things. Right, right. <laughs> then, you know, I was watching this documentary um, shortly before Dark of the Moon, and they were talking about that... Um, ever so slowly 
um, they gave the measurement of time and um, time to distance that the moon was slowly, slowly, slowly going away from us and from our planet, just like this pull, um, you know, from all of the uh, global warming and climate change activity. It's like really affecting everything. It's just like, what would that be like if we didn't have all this amazing, you know, lunar activity and the moon just decided it just wanted to up and leave. So it's just like, (laughs) that's terrifying, you know? Like, even though it's like this ridiculously slow rate, like seriously, if you sit and think about it, it's like, Oh God, that like just that would just affect everything, but it's all good. Do you look at a lot of pictures of like the surface of the moon? I do. I, I look at it. Oh. So going back to your thing about photography, I don't. I'm not to the place yet where I'm actually going to, you know, take my own photographs of landscapes. That's something that I want to start doing. But what I what I do is I start to kind of collect these found images, um, be it uh, Google images or. Um, other sources on the internet of different landscapes, different um, surfaces of the moon. Um, and then those become sources of um, points of, by which I can then abstract. So did you make these, the, do you have a name for these things here in front of us? Is this, I mean, it's like a collage of pictures. Yeah. So some of these then get a kind of title and then they're reference points for shows. Uh-huh. Um, some of them do not have titles and they just exist as boards until so it's like an idea board. They're like idea boards. It's Vision. like a physical Pinterest. It's a physical <laughs> Pinterest and the beauty of it not being online. Cause I have a lot of Pinterest boards too. Yeah, me too. But, um, <laughs> Pinterest is awesome. I love it. That's great. Um, but when you make them physical, it's like this small kind of curated, specifically for this thing that I can then reference every day without having to find my laptop. Yeah. Or, you know? I'm totally jealous of this, and I'm like, you know, I keep telling myself, it, t- teaching, I need to print things out and bring them in and put it on the wall. And the same thing in my studio. Like, you know, back when I was in school, our professors always told us, print out things, put them on your studio wall. I never do that anymore because I'm so iPhone-reliant. Mm-hmm. But then I end up wasting time because you have to scroll back through a whole bunch of pictures so this is inspiring to me. I think this is what I really need to do, like start getting things off of the phone. So For that, sure. Yeah. For sure. And then what I found, I think I rely on this so heavily because one image then might inform like one texture with another texture. Right. And because I use so many different textures and layers, I think that that's especially important for me to see the connections. Yeah, I'm trying to like look at, so so some of these are like rock formation, like on one vision board here, you've got rock formations, you've got grass, (laughs) you've got a moth, you've got, it looks like a snake skin. Yeah. What is that thing on the bottom right that's kind of like a rock or a cotton ball? I can't tell. It's very, like, fluffy. Yeah. So that's a type of uh, a, a, a fungus or, a, like, type of mushroom that grows. I'm hoping to run into one of those in real life one day. Um, they're so beautiful. Um, I forget the name of the species, but... And what is this right here? It looks, like, actually like your work. This here? Yes. <laughs> yes. So this is something that I'm super interested in, um, especially lately. That's a kind of um, aerial image of, like, a topographical um, uh, type of map. Um, aerial image of what? I don't remember what the... <laughs> which landscape that was. <laughs> yes, so that that's a good thing. I love sometimes not really remembering where these things are and then mixing up, like, this landscape of this, you know, planet that is 
who knows what planet with um, something that I do know exactly where the source is. Um, Cause I'm looking at this piece on your wall right here and I'm like, that's, yeah, it looks <laughs> totally. exactly like that. It, I mean, it the does. picture looks like, you know, it's a, it's an aerial landscape, but it looks like kind of like a crumpled up piece of aluminum foil it or does. something. It does. And I love that about it. I love that it's like this, um, ambiguity about its actual source and what it, you know, it, it could be so many things. And I really love that texture. <laughs> I guess of looking around, um, just well, very kind of... I mean, it's not obvious in all of them, but it is... I mean, it's really sure. fun to look at this idea board and then look at your wall. Yeah. Because I can clearly see, like, the texture influences. And I I love textural work. I yeah. just really respond to it. And when I... Another... You know, I was taught not to use texture in painting. Yeah. I don't know exactly why, but it was just looked frowned upon. Yeah. And now I've gone crazy with it. But, um... You know, and speaking of aluminum foil, is that aluminum foil in that piece over there? Yes. That Well, that's actually aluminum foil tape. I do have a lot of aluminum foil that I, <laughs> I use and I am planning on using. Um, that Those are actually going to go onto this lady here. Um, and they are all aluminum foil little kind of tapers. Yeah, they I look make. like little like joints or something. Yeah, like yeah, they do. Cigars. They do. I make those shapes a lot in clay. Hmm. And um, and so it's like and and sh and you're rubbing your hands together like the sh the way that you would make them, that kind of rolling. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like the way you would like start to don't you like rub the sticks together to start a fire, yeah. you know? It's like this it, That's never worked for me, but I've tried it, it a thousand <laughs> times. I always want it to happen. <laughs> Like it almost happened for me once somewhere in the air. I think I got some smoke one time. Smoke is good, yeah. That's, but no fire. No fire, darn it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So aluminum foil, I, I love just this mix of high and low materials and yes. high and low techniques is what it. I'm all about for yeah. sure. I totally feel that in your work. Yeah. What is this piece with all of the rope in it? It looks very different to me than the other pieces. Which one? The the rope and the what are the those are like ceramic pieces yes. within it. Yeah. So that is very different. Um, those are little ceramic um, forms that I have knotted <clears throat> rope around and through and between. Those are not finished they're incomplete they belong with somebody i'm thinking they belong with this lady here what i'll do sometimes though is like i make so many things from so many materials if i don't just sometimes something really great will start to happen but i don't know where it belongs and it needs a home but until i have a home for it i'll just stick it up on the wall obviously and then come back to it which is why you need a messy studio because you gotta have exactly. like a lot of stuff just laying around when just talked to exactly. our students she said that it's like a fine line between hoarding exactly and <clears throat> keeping enough materials on hand right yeah uh, i'm always battling that too and i'm constantly finding that i want things that i don't have yeah when i'm putting things together so like the more you can kind of have around you got a, a really a large amount of stuff in a small space in here and how much have you already moved over to the goat farm like um, not that much. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not that much. Um, I still do have two rooms full of stuff, but, oh, um, <laughs> but yeah, not that much. Um, I'm hoping to maybe do some nice photography in that space. So I don't want to clog that space up too much, but it'll probably get a little clogged. It's okay. Yeah, you gotta yeah. have all that stuff. So you do you do. have access to a kiln? 
like you know? I do I do and so I've been um really thankful to be able to still continue to fire things and um really still explore ceramics um I went to a residency up in Maine for ceramics this past summer and that was really really special um really learned a lot about um uh, I guess just like building on top of knowledge I already had, but like, you know, glaze mixing and... How long were you up there for? I was up there for two weeks. Okay. Yeah, which is a really short turnaround for Clay. I'm working, <laughs> fire, actually firing right. work and coming home with work. Um, but I just made a ton of these little sculptures that, and they're also waiting. They're waiting to figure out where they should be and how they come together or don't come together or what they're going to be. Um, I have a lot of, yeah, a lot of things are in waiting. Um, Do you feel like, you know, <clears throat> I always feel like I need to commit to a medium, like, yeah. but I love to work without any commitment, like just kind of jumping back and forth between things. Do you feel guilty about that? <clears throat> Absolutely. Do you, you do feel guilty. Absolutely. I was talking to um, my husband Oliver last night about this, which is wild that you ask, because I feel so guilty sometimes and I'm just like, you know, sometimes I wonder what would it just what would it be like just to be able to really hone in on one of these 50 million different <laughs> ways of working? What would come out of that? Why does it make us feel guilty though? Like, I, that's a good question. I don't know because then the magic of it all is is like, well, that's not what you do and what comes naturally is what you should be doing obviously and what comes naturally is having all of these piles of things and using different, you know, different types of ways of working to bring them all together. And so I think they, you know, they hammer into you in fine arts the idea that you have to create a body of work. Yeah. And you have to have this coherent way of yeah. working. I mean, but then when I look at artists that I admire, people who do the same thing for 20 years, like that is boring as all hell. Exactly. You know, like I'm not going to do that. Exactly. There's no way. I've, I've been looking at Nicole Eisenman a lot. Yeah. Because even if she sticks to painting, she's all over the place. Exactly. Um, and I love that in her work. Like, yeah. Like, you can't, you can look at stuff, like, three different paintings, and it looks like three different people. Um, and I really appreciate that. Your work, you know, it still all looks like you made it somehow. Right. Like, uh, I'm kind of jealous of that. Like, I feel like it's still very coherent, even though yeah. you're using every kind of material under the sun. Yeah. Um. But I, I, I do agree, though. I think that there it, there can be cohesion in the chaos, right? Yeah. It's like it doesn't have to be that just you don't have to just use one way of working for there to be cohesion. There's different definitions right. and, I, you know, uh, meanings of what cohesion is. Um, and you have subjects that drive you. Like I started I looking through your website, which... Uh, honestly, it was just overwhelmed. You have so much work on there. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's so much. <laughs> I was like, how many years of work is on here? Oh, God, is it a lot? Um, is it like several, how many years? Yeah, is there's on a there? few years of work on there. A there, few? Like, yeah. three or like 15? No, like three. Oh my God. Or four. I can't believe you made all that work yeah. in three years. And yeah. see, it all does look very coherent. Like, yeah. that's why I was like, this. This is a lot of work right. in a short period of time. Yeah. And I'm sure that you don't put everything that you make on your no, website. No, I don't. A lot of the ceramic work is undocumented oh and not gosh. on there. Like, mm, I would say about 80% of it actually is not on the website. Um, but most of the textile work I document, and I'm really good about putting it on there and putting it out 
And then other than that, it's just about cranking it out, churning it out. So do you work all the time in here, or do you, like, watch Netflix and do some, you know, hand work, work? I I work mainly in here. Okay. I work mainly in my workspaces. Occasionally when I'm working on something, you know, like maybe the crochet or... A lot of handwork that can't that isn't the weaving. Obviously, the floor looms can't go in there. But like other than that, like I'll work um, in here. But then occasionally I'll work while watching things, and I really enjoy the few times that I'm able to work that way. Yeah. Um, even though sometimes when I know I have a really um, intensive weaving project, what I'll do is like these looms have a little space where you can kind of like prop up your iPad or something, oh. and or your laptop, and you can. Um, you can't really you can, watch, but you, but can you exactly because your you know, weaving really does require your eyes and your hands and, like I said, your whole body pretty much. Because <laughs> I did the hook rug piece that took me forever. That was a yeah, show yeah, I did so a good. Lot of Netflix so while good. I was doing that because it's so boring otherwise. Yeah. Like you got to have something else. You got to have some entertainment. I do a lot of music, tons of music, <laughs> um, podcasts as well. But then the podcasts are tricky because I found that unless I'm weaving. Um, some of the processes that I, and ways of working, I, they almost, I get so into them that it distracts me and I'm not making, so it's like teeter-tottering <laughs> between. I, that's interesting because I cannot listen to podcasts yeah. while I work. I can't yeah. listen to people talking because yeah. it completely puts me in a different mindset. Like it does. I'm thinking in a different way. Exactly. I don't like it. Yeah. I found that as well. I, with the clay, I can work and listen to podcasts. It's pretty, pretty well. I can kind of I think <laughs> yeah I could see that it's tricky though maybe if you're like throwing something or something, yeah it seems like it would be easy to do but I've had like students tell me that they listen to podcasts and I'm like I don't know <laughs> how you do that <laughs> especially while you're painting oh like, right right I don't know I yeah can't. I have to listen to music that is either has no words or is very familiar to me right so that I'm not thinking about the words. Exactly. Because then that becomes a whole nother something for sure. Yeah. yeah. So you got your BFA in at UNC Charlotte. I did. And your MFA at UGA. I did. <laughs> Are um, you from North Carolina? I'm from North Carolina. Um, I'm from Charlotte, but also a little outside of Charlotte, Huntersville. Um, and I um, originally started out as a psychology major. That didn't work out so hot. <laughs> I realized that is not what I wanted to do. Um, I'm still very interested in psychology. Um, but I then, after a year of studying, um, and I was thinking I was going to go to med school and all these things, and that just didn't it didn't work out. And I'm, I'm glad it didn't. I'm glad that um, pursuing a career in art was, like, just haunting me. It got to the point where I was just like, I just, I just can't do this. So I... Um, started I switched my major over to fine arts and I um, started out thinking I was going to be a painter Mm -hmm. Um, I actually declared my concentration as a painter and then I uh, took a few fiber classes and fell in love Um, and I studied under um, Mary Tuma um, who's this fantastic fiber artist Um, she's still living and working in North Carolina so that's kind of fortuitous. I mean, you weren't planning on even going into art, and then they had this 
fiber art that right. appealed to you. Right. At this, it's not a very big school, is it? It's not. It's not. But they've got a really great art, art and architecture program, mm-hmm. um, and so it worked out perfectly. Um, and then I uh, just fell in love with fiber, and I learned everything from dyeing to weaving to felting. All these processes I still work with today, and um, yeah, I, I just fell in love with textiles in general. Your family was in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. What's the deal with your family? Are they into you being an artist? Oh, yeah. Um, I think uh, part of the reason why I started out as a psychology major, though, I don't think my mom was on board. I mean, she she wanted the best for us. She wanted us to, uh, she wanted us to do what we wanted to do, but at the same time, she really wanted us to go to med school, my sister and myself. So there's just the two of you? There's just the two of us. And um, that was just never my gift. But I figured, hey, you know what? I'll try it. I I did really well in psychology and thought, oh, well, I know I could do it if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. So I went ahead. Um, My dad just was adamant about, you know, you want to do art. You should just do art. You want to do art. Just pursue that. And um, Are your parents together? They're not together. Were they together when you were in college? They were together. Together the first year I was in college. Oh. Yeah. And then and they is your split. sister younger or older than you? Sister's younger. She's two years younger. So she was still at home when they split. Yeah. Up. Yeah. And that was about the time that you're deciding to change majors. Yeah. Your parents are splitting up. Do you think that had anything to do with that? Just kind of like Um, I don't I don't think so. My parents, um, to be honest, um there was a lot of back and forth with the whole splitting up thing, kind of since we were really young. Mm-hmm. I um, so I don't, I don't think so. Not, not that I can kind of piece together. And speaking of chaos, I mean, I just like, yeah, figure, yeah, you know, wanting to. I think you said something about you know when things get messy or I, when I first came out. I mentioned this time of the year is like I just get down. Yeah, you know, like wanting to do art in a time of chaos in your life. Kind right. Of makes sense. For sure. To me, anyway. Yeah, for sure. Art was kind of my way. Um, of kind of escaping also nature like we had a really strict upbringing and so we weren't really allowed to do anything like we never watched tv which is why now it's like it, it watching netflix even even when i really get into something and i watch more than one episode and i really get sucked into it i feel really guilty because it's like i'm just not used to watching tv it's just not something that we kind of grew up with. It's um, funny because my parents were really, I mean, all they did was watch TV. Yeah. And when I went off to college, I refused to watch TV. I mean, it was part of my rebellion huh. to, like, not have a TV. And, in fact, we just recently bought a TV. Yeah. And I feel like I, I, I hate it. Yeah. Like, just being in the house, it bothers me. Yeah. But um, well, I'm getting distracted here. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, yeah. I, having- f- I find that... Um, the TV can be, like, I'm really all about learning how to kind of escape. And sometimes I know I get mm-hmm. so into my process and my practice and my work that I have to force myself to stop. Maybe go and not, you know, um, feel shameful or guilty about going and, you so know, watching some shame TV. shame and guilt and yeah. feeling strict, you know, strict parents, are they yeah. religious? Are your parents very religious? Or? Um, they are. They are. Yeah. yeah. I think um, there's a lot of that, especially growing up in the South. Um, right. I've, yeah. I noticed on the way here, I passed every imaginable house of worship yeah. <laughs> that you could think of. I was like looking, you know, because I kind of 
judge neighborhoods. Sometimes I like check out to see what kind of churches are around. Yeah. You know, to kind of get a vibe for who lives there. Yeah. And they were all over the place. Yeah. Around here. But yeah, you know, so this is a podcast talking to women in the South. Mm-hmm. And religion comes up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, know? I can imagine. I think it's, um, I'm thankful for the way I was raised. I think it taught me a lot of discipline. I think it taught me a lot of um, structure. And um, yeah, I don't think I regret it. I don't regret anything. I really fully embrace it. I've learned to do that now. Even, you know, the chaos with my parents. Um, I love them dearly. They, you know, they feel the same about me. They really support what I do. Um, and I'm really thankful for that because not everybody has that support. Now my mom is like one of my, you know, biggest fans, even though she wasn't, um, I think she just didn't understand art and that you can make a living and that you can make a career out of it. Now she's like, still don't understand it. Yeah. Well, my mom sent me a text this week that was a picture of a watercolor that she found, I think in Mobile for $3 at a store and it was signed and she's like, it's signed twice. What does that mean? And yeah. I'm like, you know, like she, the the questions that she asked me about art, I'm like, she has just no idea no clue. what I do yeah. with my <laughs> life. But how long did it take your mom to come around? Um, I think when I came back for grad school. So all of undergrad, oh. you know, she was very supportive in the way that she knew how. She didn't really understand why I still wanted to do it and why it was so important to me. My dad understood because he's an artist. Um, but oh. my, but what kind of art does he do? Um, he does like pen and ink. Um, Lots of botanical illustrations, um, lots of uh, depictions of nature, but then also he's like dabbling into more recently some abstractions of nature as well. Um, not a lot of figure, but. What does he do for money? He also does woodworking. Oh. Um, uh, he's in accounting, finance, okay. so he's got. But he's still making. Art. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very rarely now, but a lot before previously. And so he's actually the reason why I, you know, I was introduced to art at a very early age when I was like two or three. Did we would draw to together. We didn't do a lot of museums. Um, we did some and we did a lot of we did more like, you know, hiking or going to the mountains and the beach on the regular and like other weird stuff like thrifting and going to antique shops and that kind of So your art history exploring. introduction was really happening at college. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's most people in the South. I like, think so. You don't do a lot of art gallery hopping. Yeah, no. No, I don't have a lot of <laughs> memories about that. Um, but just seeing him work, I mean, right. you know, and then my uncle is a painter. I have a lot of artists on that side. There's 11 brothers and sisters, um, 11 children on my dad's side, and a lot of them are artists, and um, writers. And do, like, uh, painting for his career? Or? He does. Oh, he wow. does. He's, um, he does mainly, he does a lot of landscapes, but also a lot of figurative work, lots of animals. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's lucky. Yeah. I, I love that, that yeah. you have all those uh, people creatively working around you when you're growing up. And what about your sister? Is she like into art? No, she's not. Um, she really supports what I do, but she's actually the opposite end of the spectrum. She's always been killer at math, science. She was in the military. She learned Chinese. She's fluent. Um, she's she's a rock star, but just like in a different different way. And um, yeah, she's. So you did you spend your whole childhood in North Carolina? I did. I did. I never left until I came here for grad school. Um, 
And I had a hard time leaving because, like I said, my dad is one of 11. Mm -hmm. My mom's one of five. And everyone and everyone's children and children's children live in, like, a teeny tiny radius of Charlotte and Huntersville. And so for somebody to leave, you know, they understand. But you have so many connections and so much support there and so much love there. It's, like, hard, you know. It's like nobody really ever leaves. Why did you pick UGA? So um, we actually chose the state of Georgia um, before um, looking at grad school specifically because we needed to relocate to um, support my mother-in-law. My father-in-law had passed away. We knew we wanted to be close. She was here. Oh. And so we knew we wanted to come here. So is your husband from here? Um, no. He grew up here. He's okay. originally from New Jersey. But okay. she moved here. Um, she and my father-in-law moved here. Um, they were going to carry out their retirement plan. And then he passed away maybe, I think, a year after they moved here. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to come and support her and be close. And um, I was also looking into grad schools at the time, and I knew it was time to make it happen. So all these things kind of like came together at just the right time. I was also looking into Georgia State. But Georgia is – I'm really thankful for the experiences I had at UGA. So and how long did you live in Athens? We lived there for three years, so the whole time I was in, in, in school, um, and I there's a special place in my heart for Athens still to this day. <laughs> I just love Athens; it's such a great place. Yeah. Um, and and being able to go to school there, I think um, I, I'm really thankful for that experience. There's so many great faculty, so many great students. Um, yeah. All of that was very rewarding. I'm thankful for it. And how many textile faculty do they have? Because you got an MFA in textiles. Yeah, I did. I I did a lot of dabbling. I think it's fabric design. Fabric design. But I did a lot of dabbling in other areas. So I did a ton of ceramics um, courses, and I also did some sculpture. So I kind of like dabbled as much as I could in other areas, just because I knew how beneficial that would be for me in my work. And that's pretty recent, right? How, when did you graduate? Yeah, I graduated, I graduated there in 2015. Okay. And did, so, when, when did you graduate undergrad? Was there a space? There was a huge space. Okay. There was a space. I graduated uh, undergrad 2007. Okay. And I started at UGA in, in um, 20, 2002, sorry. Um, so there was a, there was definitely... A huge. What did uh, you do in the meantime? So I did a lot of retailing. Um, I did a lot of anything I could do to make money. And um, I think at the time I wasn't, I felt like I wasn't able to focus on my work um, because I just had so many other financial obligations. Yeah. And I think I had a hard time balancing that. Now I feel like I'm more well equipped. Like, okay, this you got to make both these things happen. You can't you know, be at the detriment of your work and your practice and what you feel like you're here on this planet to do. You've got to figure out how to balance it all and make it all work for you. Otherwise, you just, you're just not going to be happy. Yeah, totally. So. Eventually, you realize that you just have to prioritize your <laughs> exactly. work. Exactly. Like jumping off a cliff. Exactly. No but if you're going to be happy, you have to do it. Exactly. I think certain people are like that. Like, exactly. You just got to get persistent. And now you have 
a great practice. You have like a studio space. You have representation at a yeah. great gallery, right? Yeah. So you're like officially represented. By I am. I white am. Space. Yeah. And with white space, I'm really thankful for that. And working with Susan there has been um, an absolute dream. And yeah, I think I'm at a good place right now. Um, just. Yeah, really appreciative of all of the support and from family and from people in the arts community. Um, and I guess even for myself to be able to realize, hey, you know, this is what you want to do, make it happen. And being able to feel that passion of, you know, like I said, why I'm here. Um, why I'm here and what I'm here for and what I'm here to do. So I think um, I'm really learning to um just keep making it happen keep that's great yeah well thanks so much for having me in your studio today sure thing thank you thank you for coming That's the sound of my long, dormant inkjet printer coming to life in the background. Zipporah has inspired me to suck it up, get out there, and buy some ink. 60 bucks, y'all. That's what's been holding me back. The ink racket these days is pretty intense. But anyway, the point is that Zipporah's idea boards inspired me to get my own source images out of the electronic realm and back into the physical world. I hope that you all found something inspiring in our conversation as well. Thanks so much, Zipporah, for allowing me into your home and creative space and for sharing your process with us all. You can find Zipporah's work and more about her exhibitions and awards online at her website, ZipporahCamille.com or at White Space's website. Both of these websites, pictures of Zipporah's studio and the artwork we discussed and a few other related links can be found at the Peachy Keen tab at VivianLiddell.com. That's V-I-V-I-A-N-L-I-D-D-E-L-L.com. You can also find out more about Cielos Noches, the project Zipporah will be creating in Oaxaca, Mexico this spring by clicking on the Idea Capital link on the Peachy Keen page. If you're listening on iTunes, do me a favor and leave a review so I can see what you think about the podcast. You can also help support the podcast through patreon.com by following the link on the Peachy Keen website. I've got a few more episodes in the works, so it shouldn't be too long before you hear back from me again. Until the next one, I hope y'all are making and enjoying some art and that your days are peachy keen.